Guys, welcome to the I Love Seville Show. My name is Jerry Miller. Thank you kindly for joining us. A bit of a late start for us this particular Wednesday afternoon, but our director, the fabulously talented Judah Wickhauer, has solved the conundrum. So we are live here with a little late start, and today's program is going to be fantastic. Justin Ritter is our guest. You will see him in T-minus three or four minutes. He's an attorney. He works on the front lines with small businesses, mature ones, brand new ones, ones looking to sell, ones looking to buy. This guy is as connected in the entrepreneurial business world in Central Virginia as anyone is. Okay, so we're going to talk State of the Union here in Central Virginia. And this is a byproduct of yesterday's show. On yesterday's program, which Esquire Ritter was listening to, we talked about home sales. 688 homes sold in Q1 2023, which is a 23% drop versus first, first quarter last year. We're talking 200 less units and $86 million in sales volume year over year less. That's significant. On the morning real estate show, Keith Smith, who's been in the business for 37 years, says if this housing trend continues, 30% of the agents that are active in car will not renew their license. Okay, so that really puts in perspective what's happening here. If 400 of 1,200 total agents choose not to renew their license, you know it's not sunshine and rainbows all the time in this market. Let's hear Scott Morris, the loan officer. This guy's production is the second most production in Ross Mortgage, a company that's in 24 states. He's got a significant footprint, Scott Morris. Do you have that sound ready to go? Yeah. All right, let's cue that sound up in three, in two, and one. Let's play it standpoint. So here's the question I throw to Scott, and as Judah marks the time here, how do you characterize what's happening now? How do you characterize this real estate ecosystem in Central Virginia currently? So there's a tightening, and there's a ton of what I call dead inventory, and that's people who were in uh, low-wage, low-salary positions who qualified for mortgages at sub-4%, who now cannot take the existing credit card debt that they've grown post-pandemic along with any student loans or just the life that they you know have uh, become accustomed to existing in uh, and then sell that house pay those debts and qualify at a house that is equal or better than what they're in they would be downgrading or transitioning to something probably further away in location for the same type of property um, and then on top of that uh, there's You've got a number of people who just aren't ready to make the move because there's not enough inventory to support that. So what you're truly seeing is people who are moving for death, divorce, job, and uh, retirement. And that is the inventory that we're focused on, people coming in for jobs. And there's more people coming in for jobs as job growth exists. So that's why we're continuing to see an appreciation in value. Um, and it's you're going to see a number, and I think Keith and I talked about this uh, off camera and before the show, you're going to see a, a, a change in the number of professionals in the industry, and you're going to continue to see a very competitive environment no matter what the interest rate level remains at for the, in, for the rest of the year. Although the big, big mortgage world pros say fourth quarter is going to be the biggest quarter of the year, and to that I say let's go, baby. <laughs> that was all right, that's Scott Morris, guys, of Ross Mortgage on housing. We're going to welcome Justin Ritter in T-minus 30 seconds. Yesterday's show, 688 units sold in Q1 2023. This time last year, close of first quarter, 23% more units sold, $86 million more in sales volume sold 
last year versus this year. The crystal ball from a lot of agents that have market share is a third of the car roster is not going to renew their license potentially because of the drop in inventory sold. Judah Wickhauer is our director. Let's go to Justin Ritter on a studio camera, then a two-shot here. You listened to, the, uh, to yesterday's show. One thing I know about you is you're as connected as anyone. I, I'm, I'm grateful for you coming here. I can't wait to learn from you. What struck you from yesterday's show? And then we'll do the introduction with you for the viewers and listeners. I think the, the commentary, and I don't recall, and thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Uh, I would say, I think it was the commentary related to, um, and I don't know if you used the phrase uh, sunshine and rainbows. I think you used it again today. It's, uh, the question is, like, where are we? are we? Are we actually insulated because we're a university town um, as compared to other places? And I, I thought about that. I've been thinking about this a lot uh, and just kind of just really just trying to get a read from my clients, from contemporaries, from friends, colleagues. Uh, what is going on right now? And I, I think the TLDR on, on what I have to say today is that, um, you know, I, I don't think we are fully insulated. I don't think this is two, 2007, 2008 again. I don't think this is across the board pain. I think it, this is something that is new and is just quite uneven. And um, I think because of that, um, you know, I think we have to understand like where people um, where people are right now, and and just try to support local business, uh, uh, support founders, support support each other. So um, so that that's what struck me. Throw introduce everybody to, to you and what you sure. do. I've kind of teased this. This guy is, is, is front lines when it comes to business locally. Sure. So uh, I'm the owner of Ritter Law PLLC. It's two attorneys, myself included. We specialize in uh, traditional business representation, startup business representation, and real estate investment and development. Uh, been doing that in Charlottesville for roughly a decade. Um, and I would say that our practice is, is solely transactional in nature. We try to do as much as possible for our clientele. Um, and uh, taking off the attorney hat, I'm also the chair of the Charlottesville Business Innovation Council, as well as the outgoing chair-elect of the City of Charlottesville Board of Zoning Appeals. So uh, just kind of have a lot of experiences, perspectives, and um, I still have a lot of open questions, but I can tell you that I think that um, – what we have in Charlottesville is is quite special. I think that there there are issues, obviously, but um, I think that um, there are just perspectives that I think it would be worth having a good conversation and and sharing what insights I have, maybe learning from you, learning from others in the audience, and just just learning together. I love it. Does yeah. does Charlottesville and Central Virginia, from your perspective, still have a COVID hangover? Yeah. How so? Uh, I think from the business lens, I think that uh, a lot of the, s the stimulus is, has been running out. And I think that perhaps hard decisions that were able to be punted in 2020, 2021, 2022 are, are you can't punt anymore. And so, uh, and, and I have some specifics we can go over in a Please. moment, but, but I, I think that, um, I think that we have that and perhaps uh, discretionary spending by consumers is is lessening as well, also due to uh, a reduction in stimulus from the federal or state government. So, and I think it's just a reality. I, I think that in 2020, when you when you uh, stopped the entire economy for several months, 
um, there were and are ramifications to that, and we're feeling it now. So, yeah, I do think there's a hangover. Are you seeing small business owners getting stuck with debt service payments coming due now on loans that were taken during the pandemic, and that's throttling growth and or sucking up any cash to keep the business going? You know, it's interesting. I think that uh, uh, two parts to to that question. One is that I think that there was a, a great economic stimulus offered by the Small Business Administration, SBA, called an EIDL loan. I don't know if you're familiar with Yeah, the IDLE loan, yeah. Yeah, and uh, what an amazing loan. And from what I saw, um, it, the, the process of applying for it and getting that loan was so fast, just like the PPP loans. I mean, I don't know if you had experience with uh, or talking to people about that, but that money came very quickly. And, uh, you know, it makes me think of a principle that I think about a lot with my legal practice. Like, generally speaking, when you, um, when you try to get something to be fairer, I think that you're, you're going to necessitate a greater layer of complexity. And I think that at the time of March and April of 2020, there wasn't time for complete fairness. So you may have seen in the news there's been a lot of fraud claims of PPP loans, maybe even EIDL loans. I haven't really been privy to that. But, uh, but it it gave us or gave business owners the money um, needed for, for many uh, to, to survive a tough time in 2020. And now the EIDL loan, for instance, is, is exhausted. Like you can't apply for it anymore. I mean, those loans, just to flesh it out, I mean, it was 30-year, fully amortized, just under 4%, up to $2 million that you could grab. I mean, you can't get loans like that with an institutional bank. Right. But SBA was offering it, and depending on how much you asked for, there were different layers of, um, of uh, process from the SBA, and I, I don't remember what the numbers were, but there was a lower loan amount that was above six figures that, that you could get very quickly. That, that's gone now. Yeah. PPP gone now. Uh, employee uh, retention tax credit um, still available. Perhaps many businesses have already taken it and are receiving checks or waiting for checks uh, to come in the mail. And, and so these are all three sti- stimuluses. I believe there's some state and maybe some local ones as well that, that the money is, is, um, is, the free money is drying up. Do we just prop up businesses that otherwise were not actually businesses through this three-year period of time? And as a result, we have this very Darwinistic, dog-eat-dog world out there now, and this is what's happening. Yeah, dog-eat-dog. I I don't know if it – perhaps there are some businesses that should have failed that survived because of these loans. I'm I'm sure that's the case. And now with the money drying up, it's it's, – there's, no, there's nowhere to hide. Exactly. You, you have to you have to perform or not. And and I'm a big believer that uh, necessity is the mother of invention. And I think we're seeing that. I'm seeing that in real time because people people are adjusting and they see they see loan obligations ballooning. They see that maybe their expenses are are going up or they need to be trimmed down because the revenue is going down. People are making tough decisions right now. And um, I do believe that. Um, this is not going to be 2007, or th- I, I don't believe we're in 2007, 2008. I think this is a better circumstance, not to say transitory. I know that word is... is uh, Almost played out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I do think that we will recover from this. And the TLDR for, for you know, my, my bullet points that I have here is that I, I think that you know, we're going through some pain right now, but I think it's uneven. And um, I don't really have a, a good lead on like, 
what trends are, are like what's working, what's not working. I'm intrigued by what you mean by uneven pain. Yeah, well, I think um, perhaps um, you know office right now it, uh, could be painful for for folks owning those assets. Perhaps even retail real estate ownership could be tough right now. I think perhaps restaurants as well. Uh, finding the right labor for that, um, you know, being able to successfully transition from people having a proclivities and uh, to to eat into now, you know, I'm hearing a lot from restaurant clients that the percentage of takeout ordering is just skyrocketed. So, like, can you, like, like have you transitioned that properly as a business owner? Um, and so, I think that. Right now, I have some clients that are so busy that I can barely get a hold of them. And, I've, you know, I've got others that we're, we're making hard decisions together, whether that's reductions in workforce, how to figure out how to, to pay creditors. I mean, it's, it, you know, these were not calls or, um, or uh, work matters I was doing with as much frequency as today two years ago. Fair. How about yeah. the opportunity that's on the horizon for those that want to pursue opportunity of business purchase? It seems we both feel the opportunity for this type of endeavor is significant here. I think that the opportunity for business, small business ownership and acquisition is maybe one of the best um, asset classes to invest in, and I'm comparing that to public stocks, to startup investment, to real estate investment. Owning a historically successful business, and then maybe after you buy it, innovating from there, um, I think is just an incredible opportunity. The SBA, uh, Small Business Administration, makes uh, makes buying business assets uh, much easier, um, although more complex, uh, than perhaps going through an institutional lender for uh, traditional business purchases or real estate purchases. And as of May 11th, uh, the SBA came out with new rules that I think that if they are implemented, we'll probably know by the end of July, will dramatically change the ability of people to take on small business ownership for less risk and specifically not to dive down a rabbit hole. But right now, if you acquire a business through like an SBA loan, you, you got to buy the whole thing. Now they're proposing rules where you can make partial Acquisitions, wow, and and that so you don't have to put fractional small business ownership, yeah, yeah. through loans financed by the SBA. SBA. Yes, it that is amazing. Yeah, proposed as of last week. So we have to go through the rulemaking process. But if this happens, makes small business ownership more approachable for yes, the masses. Absolutely, because you don't have to have the the lump sum to purchase it all. You exactly. can buy a lion's share. And exactly. could the small business owner? This is why I love this guy here. My my mind is going a thousand miles an hour because of this. Could the small business owner crowdsource? Yes. Uh, minority stake in his or her business by suggesting fractional ownership with an SBA loan. I, I think you could, yeah. That's essentially, in a lot of ways, selling. That is almost how you IPO a business, but you're doing yeah. it at a much smaller scale. Yeah, yeah. Is that pretty much what that is? Uh, you, could, you could do both together. Uh, with these loans, you could do potentially do it yourself or with friends because the 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 barrier to entry is much lower. Why was the, why, I love this. Why was this um, something that was uh, considered? Just because they wanted to make this more, uh, real, more approachable? I think so. I think so. Because right now, um, uh, there, there is a, a very interesting uh, trend or pattern of a lot of business owners that are um, 
uh, maybe of the baby boomer generation that are retiring have children or grandchildren that aren't interested in uh, succeeding to that business ownership that these owners need to sell. You know, it's their biggest asset and they don't, you know, and and I see this bottleneck a lot uh, for sellers of businesses and this will be one way to maybe you have a key employee can't afford to buy the whole thing but they could buy 30% and then they buy 30% they prove their worth and then they buy another 30% and get get to 100% ownership over a decade or, or so it gives real transition planning better transition planning opportunities for sellers of historically successful businesses that don't have a currently have a succession plan. That's good stuff from Ritter right there. How about the the stuff from the outline when it came to local banks? You're feeling uh, you're seeing potentially a, a pinch for local banks. Is this the fallout of First Republic SVP, SVP as well, or is this isolated from Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic runs? You know, it's hard to say, but my best guess is that uh, there is a an aggregate. Or a macro, from a macro level, I think that our regional banks are, are getting hurt with their share prices right now, um, and, and I think that um, I don't I, I don't know the health of their their loans that they're portfolioing or, or holding, um, but I do think that um, all the loans that I've dealt with on with regional banks, I've I thought all of them made perfect sense. I never thought a single loan was like, wow, that bank is, you know, they're stretching it. Like this business is is if anything, I've thought the opposite. Like, man, these banks are just so conservative as compared to, you know, like a private equity investment where someone's just like, Yeah, I'll you know, I'll I'll pay for it. Um and so, you know, from my lens, I, I don't I think our banks are gonna hold strong. You know, I bank with a local bank and and I'm I'm not gonna Put my deposits elsewhere because I'm afraid of, um, you know, regional bank failure. Um, I'm, I'm just not going to do it. They've been so good to me. I'm, I'm not leaving. So, um, so yeah. And I, I think, I think there's. But a you trend. do put it in perspective, though. I mean, Blue Ridge Bank. I'm reading here, 50 percent in share price down since since June of last year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, this guy comes prepared. He, he has Virginia National Bank down 25 percent their stock. Since February of this year, Atlantic yeah. Union down a third since February of this year. Bank of a James uh, down a third since February of this year. That's all at the same time of SVB yeah, and First that's Republic. Right. That's right. And I think it's an unfair uh, result. Uh, maybe folks received uh, emails of assurances from their local banks shortly after Silicon Valley. I think Valley. they did. They, they, many did. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think that we, uh, I at least trust our our local banks i'm i'm not going to go to jp morgan or bank of america because i'm afraid of of uh what's to come i do think going back to my uh commentary or theme of unevenness perhaps they're they're holding some you know office or other loans that tenants have left and balloons are coming up and higher interest rates are going to hit but to to my point about uh, necessity is the mother of invention. I think that there will be people that will adjust and maybe, hopefully, maybe solve problems that currently exist. For example, if you've got an office space that's that's lagging in tenants, do you convert it to residential condominium units? You know, I'm not seeing that yet. It's possible. I think it's economically difficult. Very. But, you know, because the plumbing's different, the windows are different. Like, so there's, you know, different infrastructure changes that you'd have to do. But I do think that, again, necessity will, will um, 
create invention. And, and I just, you know, I think my business representation and representing founders has made me a very glass half full kind of person. Like I just believe like in, in us, you know? And, um, so I don't, I don't think that this is going to be what, again, what 2007, 2008 was. Comments coming in fast yeah. for uh, Justin Ritter here of Ritter Law PLLC. Jason Howard says, small business staffing difficulties as it becomes harder to compete with Amazon and other multinationals on pay and benefits. Are you seeing more automation like kiosks at Sheets or McDonald's? Jason Howard on Rio Road also says this. Are you specifically mentioned, you specifically mentioned restaurants pivoting to takeout, buying software to takeout orders, and payment online must be growing quicker and easier than having one staffer living on the phone during lunch and the dinner rush. Do you find this promising? So it's a two-part question. Automation with your clients, and then also how takeout could potentially strip um, staff of numbers making it a smaller staff, which means the business might have more money to run. Yeah. Uh, to, to take the, the second part first, cause I think my reply would be shorter. Like, yeah, I think that, that, that would make economic sense for businesses. And I, I think that it's also just catering to the consumer because the consumer now we're, we're for better or worse, we're used to being at home more now and and some people, you know, are still wearing masks out. So some people are still uncomfortable being in restaurants. Uh, um, so, I, I uh, so yeah, I, th- I think that um, I think the trend is more about restaurants catering to their clientele than than trying to save money. But that's that's just me. No, I think you're 100 right. Now, the collateral damage of that is if it becomes more of a takeout world, it deprioritizes the need for sexy class A. Yeah. Does that make sexy uh, class A restaurant high dollar less prioritized and valuable? Probably so. Kelly Jackson, front of the program, client owns 17 Panera Breads. She also launched a new franchise, a hot chicken franchise in D.C. She says they'll never do a Panera Bread that doesn't have a drive-thru, and they don't need the massive footprint anymore. I've heard that about drive-thrus being very powerful. Um, Well, yeah. Um, So I guess to, to the... The part about automation, I, I think that, you know, it's interesting. I have in my notes here a section about solutions towards the current problems we have. And one item that I didn't have and I hemmed back and forth or went back and forth on it, and uh, but I added it now, was about talking about AI and, as a solution. It can also be a problem. Yeah. You know? So, um, but I, I cannot tell you the amount of AI activity that's coming through here. It's shocking. Put that in it's perspective. It's shocking. It's, it's, it's just everywhere now. It's people starting AI-centric companies. And, you know, I guess to be quite candid, I don't really know what they're doing, but AI's in there. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, um, but I find it very interesting because I, I, our firm uses it every day, you know? And, How so? Oh, in what regard? Uh, legal research. Um, so ChatGPT? Uh, ChatGPT4. Okay. They've got a whole bunch of plugins that just came out this week. Uh, started to use Bard. Which is iffy. Google. Uh, yeah, we've also created an auto GPT bot, which like runs auto queries. Um, we're on the wait list for uh, Poe, um, and we're on the wait list for some legal AIs. And I think, you know, I would say the first few weeks, I was like, do I need to be watch Are out you, for my job? Right? You know I what I mean? And, that, and that's that. what everyone's really reaction is. But like, I think now that I've actually been using it and grappling with it, I think it provides a tremendous opportunity to be way more efficient and uh, get work product out more quickly, cheaper. 
And um, I think it's not just legal. I think a lot of professional services companies will benefit from the use of AI. Can it reduce potentially certain expenses, maybe payroll, which I know makes it makes it uh, a touchy subject to talk about. But but for some of the administrative things, I think yes, maybe not right now where it is, but in a year from now, yeah, I think so. When does when does John Blair watching the program? He's got a question from you from Stanton. John, I'll get to your comment on LinkedIn here shortly. Um, when does what is this AI and this ChatGPT and all the various um, innovative knowledge resources that we have coming on the very near horizon, when can that potentially replace, say, like a paralegal or an actual human on a law firm roster? Are we anywhere near that? I don't think so. Okay. I, I think that there is still a human element. I mean, Bard will, will straight up tell you false facts, and so you have to do the due diligence. I think what it does is it, it doesn't replace as much as it... Makes um, more efficient. Efficient, but also it, it's like... It's like being a worker on steroids. I mean, you're just like, you're getting answers so much faster, you know, and you, they could be wrong. You have to sift through it. But for example, um, when the new SBA rules came out on May 11th, I was reading on LinkedIn, uh, there's an attorney that I follow out of Texas that was saying, oh, seller rollovers are possible. And I was like, oh, wow. Number one, I probably should admit that I didn't know what a rollover was. I don't know what that is. What is that? It's essentially when you buy an, um, when you buy a business from a new entity and the seller rolls over their equity into the new buyer entity. Okay. Yeah. And so that's to the theme of the partial buyout, but it's a way they were arguing that it's a way to help the acquirer, the partial acquirer avoid, um, certain personal guarantee requirements. And like, just like, uh, just a very ideal, um, lending situation that they thought was possible. And I was like, well, that's the best loan I've ever seen. So I went to Bard and I said, here's the URL. Like, like, is this true? And it was like, boop, 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 boop. Yeah, it's true. And then, you know, you look at it and it's like, yeah, there it is, you know? So, um, so yeah, um, not the URL. You just, you just ask it. Cause yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Cause it's, it's doing a live I'm with you. feed. So, so in that regard, um, it's giving me an answer maybe in like 15 minutes that, that like I would have been deterred from even looking at because it would have taken me probably an hour or more to, to fully vet the answer. So I get the answer and then I go back to it and I'm like, oh yeah, they are right because of this. So then what scares you about this then? That was a great example. What scares you about this? Um, I think in the beginning... Uh, just not knowing how capable it really was. And I think it's, it's more limited than people think. I don't think it's Skynet, you know, from Terminator. Like, I don't, like... Great reference. Yeah, God willing, that never happens. And, yeah, please. Uh, you know, um, but I, I think it's just a great tool, and it's a great enhancer. I don't think it's a replacer yet. Do you, uh, Justin Ritter, guys, our guests, comments coming in Fast and Furious. John Blair, the attorney watching on LinkedIn, he says the conversion of commercial to residential is a genius idea. Office to residential conversion is a very, very, very good idea. That's something I've considered here. I do want to emphasize that it is very, 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 very costly. Yeah. Um, I, I want to get your take on zoning. Yep. Upzoning and real estate yes. on today's show here. Yes. Why don't I start open-ended? You go anywhere you want, and then sure. I'll go specifics. Sure. So what I'll say is, uh, first I'd like to say that I served on the 
city board of zoning appeals. I, I don't know. It might have four years or so. I, I, I don't know. And, and I, if I didn't move to Albemarle, I, I, I wish I were still on that board. You okay. Because I had, it was so, it was very fulfilling. You know, it's not paid. It's just, it's just a volunteer thing. Um, maybe it's because I actually get to decide things for once instead of my clients telling me what to do. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, but we hear case after case where people need variances or they need certain exceptions to the zoning in Charlottesville. And I would look at cases and I would just be like, man, there are some things here that just are Im- not practical and make it difficult, too difficult for um, for us to, to properly develop into something that, that creates a nice livable community. I'll give you one example Please. that I think about regularly. Uh, do you know Brown's, the store off of, um, what's that, Avon? You yeah, Brown's Fried those? Chicken. Yeah, and you like keep going. You know yeah, how recently like- sold Brown's Fried Chicken. Oh, really? Yeah, um, the land as well and the business. Oh, really? And it has the BP station, right? Yep, yeah, yep. yeah. So you know how there's like a porta potty there? Yeah. Yeah, so there was an application, um, and this is all public record, so um, I don't feel... Uh, You're not like, speaking out of turn. No, yeah. no, no. And uh, the application was to increase a certain side of the building so that you wouldn't need porter potties any, or johns anymore, and you could have like an indoor bathroom in the store. A proper bathroom. But the problem was if they did that, it was within a certain uh, f- feet of a certain area, like the, the edge of their property, like it, it, it violated a setback. So they're seeking a variance. And because of the code you interpret it very narrowly, lost it. Like didn't, he didn't get it. And so now when I drive past Browns, I look at the John and I'm like, this should not have been the outcome. And it, it's not against the board. It's not against, it's not against anybody. It's just like that's the result of us applying what was there? I don't know if the new zoning laws would have changed that outcome. I haven't looked at it too tightly. I just know that when I look at the city of Charlottesville's zoning code, it's like the question that keeps coming to my mind is, are we a town or are we a city? And like, how are we going to zone ourselves in a way that, that makes sense and makes this place more livable and enjoyable for everybody, you know? And I think that, you know, the zoning codes are, are, set in place for a long time and I think that uh, the way it is now just to take it back from a specific example and to get more general um, I think it's very hard to build affordable housing in Charlottesville right I'm not gonna say impossible but like very hard in Charlottesville right now pre-zoning change I talked to a good buddy of mine last night um, and I, I won't mention his name uh but uh he all he does is um underwrites potential real estate development uh build builds and investment opportunities and i mean he he showed me his spreadsheet i mean it's it it's the best i've ever seen and uh he is talking to me about the zoning amendment changes and he's saying justin I think that you could build not only affordable housing in Charlottesville with this, I think that you could build profitably and without subsidy. Um, I think you could build affordable housing like, like a development that's only affordable housing profitably. Wow. Which is not possible today. And the current zoning ecosystem. The, with the current zoning laws. And I, don't, I, don't, I can't vouch for that. It's just I, I'm 
so people, I can tell you, I think people are very excited about the, the zoning change. And I hope that, you know, uh, Albemarle doesn't necessarily follow suit because I know that Albemarle is a different, of different character, like topography and like populations yeah. of where it is. But I, I do, I do think and hope that we can get more affordable housing in Charlottesville. Cause right now I think the thing that, that really bothers me right now is like, I, I keep thinking about if I came to Charlottesville, like if I could flat, like go back in time, 10 years, you know, I'm 36. If I was 26 again, I couldn't buy the house that I bought at 26 today. Same with me. Could, couldn't do it. And yes, like that, that's, that's not good, you know? And um, so, I, so I applaud the, the zoning appeal amendment proposal. I hope it goes through. I hope it makes practical sense and that it can be something that people can easily interpret and apply. And I hope that developers want to come into the city and build more units. Because I, I think it's, this is a big supply and demand issue. You look at Waynesboro, <laughs> you look at Stanton, and I can I found my house in Waynesboro. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like half roughly half the price. Yeah. Right. So today in today's numbers, and so um, you know, I think it's a lot of that's just simple supply and demand. Does does what what worries you here that you're seeing in Charlottesville? What worries you from local government? What worries you about something on the horizon? What worries you about things that decision makers are doing? I'm concerned with the upzoning, for example, that it's making the dirt fairly expensive because of the opportunity associated with upzoning. And when the dirt gets expensive, you got to build a business model that covers those additional costs. And then you're expecting some ROI when you do your projects. I'm worried about that. We don't have to talk housing or zoning, anything. What worries you about 2023 today? In Charlottesville? Yeah. Um, You know, it, 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 there's a few things running through my mind, but I, I think, um, you know, one thing I wanted to talk about on, on this show was a, a recent book that I read called Flywheels by a guy named Tom Alberg, okay. who talked about the flywheels of Seattle, which is the second largest technology hub in the U.S., right behind Silicon Valley, over like the last like 50 years, 60 years. And Seattle has been having a lot of problems and benefits. I mean, Microsoft's there, Amazon's there, uh, Boeing's there. Um, but Seattle has some of the problems and San Francisco that like, I don't think we're there in magnitude, but I'm concerned about um, our livability flywheel, so to speak. I think there's two flywheels that I'm focused on. One is the economic flywheel, which I think in Charlottesville for the town our size is fantastic. I mean, it's I've lived in like 10 plus towns. This town rocks, man. Like I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. Same, you know? you know? And, uh, cause there's so much opportunity and like, in, from my vantage point, like being a, like a, a transplant here, like that never mattered. Even with the clients have been here forever. You know, I didn't go to UVA. doesn't matter. Like people are open here, generally speaking. Um, and, and, uh, you don't find that everywhere. And um, so the economic flywheel, I think, in Charlottesville is, is gangbusters. I'm, I'm so proud to be a part of it. The livability flywheel, however, you know, affordable housing is, is, a, is, a, um, uh, is an example. But I think what Tom Alberg taught me in his book was some t they're not mutually exclusive, meaning, like, if the economic flywheel is turning, you know, and the livability one is not, it's not for... 
like they could be interrelated. And so I think the thing that, that I'm thinking about, you know, and here it's kind of touchy because, uh, you know, I'm the chair of the business innovation council or tech, you know, some people think it's the, the technology council locally, but, um, there's a lot of focus on technology in Charlottesville. And I think that that's great. It adds a lot of jobs. Um, but I think at the same time, is is that indirectly causing prices to go up? Yes. A whole, a whole bunch of people are coming here from all over the place. I think that's great. But it's but when we don't have the outlet of supply of housing to meet that demand, the price is going up. Has traffic congested to a greater magnitude in the last ten years? I think so. Yeah. You know, and so, um, so. I guess for me, the biggest takeaway I've had or thinking I've had in the last few months is just that like, they're not two separate things. And I think in Charlottesville, when I saw the Bonumos um, announcement and when I saw the AgroSphere's announcement, I thought that was great. You know, uh, I don't know if you saw the Lego manufacturing facility in Chesterfield. I yeah. think that's awesome. I think that's awesome too. You know, cause like, um, you know, my father worked at a factory um, and it's funny, like it, it was a huge factory, tons of jobs. Everybody knew each other. It, people weren't commuting in and out, you know, based on your your economic level. Like people, like kind of all lived together. And um, you know, I I would like to I and hope to see more of that with the zoning changes. You know, I would just like for us to all be just you know one community, you know, here together. And you know, if housing is not affordable, how does that how does that happen? You know, and so. Um, you know, there, there are other issues, but I think for me, the, the biggest takeaway I've had is that, you know, we can't just, just open our doors and just be like, oh, just, you know, all this technology coming in, which is great, but in isolation, we also need good jobs for, you know, manufacturing jobs, you know, jo- like blue collar jobs, like jobs that people can, can build careers off of. And afford to live here. Offer the Kansas City comparison. Sure. Um, Justin, you're on fire right now. Oh, <laughs> thanks. Um, do you mind if I do Kansas City and San Francisco? Sure, please. So, this is good stuff uh, right here. Um, so it's interesting to me because – and I'd like to preface this with I think one of the best things that I've done within the last two years of like understanding what's going on is simply to use the follow button on LinkedIn. I used to never do it. I used to just like connect with people that I knew and everything I was seeing was here. And now I follow people like crazy and I'm following different regions and I'm seeing what's going on and I'm, and I'm following the news and I'm comparing it to what's going on in, in Charlottesville, you know? And, and I think what's very interesting to me about Kansas city, uh, actually, uh, learned through the, uh, Albert book, um, flywheels is like, like, that they they have a a humming scene right now of business activity, but also livable. And what I would what I would suggest for folks who like haven't even like maybe don't even know where Kansas City is on a map, like I, I probably couldn't point to it myself. But uh, but if you look at it like on Zillow and look at the homes in the city, I mean you'll see a really nice house for like a third of what it would cost here in Charlottesville. So what are we talking like two three hundred? Yeah yeah for for you know. 3,500 square foot, you know, maybe not a garage, but like in the city, like walkable. Near, yeah. Walkable, like near parks and it's like, great. it looks, it looks nice. Right. Yeah. And, um, so I think again, 
economic flywheel and livability flywheel. And so the livability flywheel is going crazy right now in places like Kansas City. People can move there, especially people working remote perhaps and technology jobs that are there that can live more affordably and you know because of the ease of that pressure uh, economic pressure they can you know uh, do other things uh, more comfortably and, and uh, but then you contrast that to San Francisco I follow San Francisco news right now more than anything because I just think it's just it's just so much is going on yeah. there, there right now it, it is it is insane they can't keep CVS pharmacies open at San Francisco because people are group raiding and robbing these locations. Yeah, and nothing's happening. And nothing is happening. Yeah. He's exactly right. Nothing is happening. Yeah, I mean, they've, I think they've recalled their district attorney. Yeah. Uh, um, I forget his name. But uh, so I think about San Francisco and the livability aspect. It's having a high outbound migration right now of residents. It has a, it has a, a tremendously high empty off or an office vacancy rate in downtown San Francisco and um, you know what, what are the answers to that? I don't know. But what I do know is this. I think that we're doing a lot better than San Francisco. And perhaps we could, could see, look at what Kansas City is doing. You know, like on the, on the livability flywheel, so to speak. Heather Walker, welcome to the show. This comment's come in. Um, Justin, per your comment about Waynesboro housing being much more affordable, that's where you move for your starter house for a lot of people. This winter, it took two weeks to get a service on a faulty furnace for us. Jerry mentioned in past shows, electricians not even being interested in smaller jobs. If we don't have housing affordability, doesn't the price of every type of maintenance go up for, for us now that the service company is factoring in a 30 to 40 minute commute when giving quotes? Plenty of roofs and HVA units to work on over the mountain as well. Jason, your comments always appreciated on this show. I had multiple electricians literally say to me that they did not want a two or three hour job. That was essentially, I don't know, three, four hundred bucks. I don't know what they charge an hour. Yeah, yeah. Um, they said it's too small work. Yeah. Legitimately saying that they're only going for the bigger jobs now. That's a great question. So he says if we have to expand the livability footprint, is that going to make service calls even more costly? Because these companies are having a larger geographical territory to cover. Great yeah, question. I mean, but the, I guess what I would say is that yes, Waynesboro is cheaper, but I, I I want people looking for their starter home to be here, and not in Char and not in Waynesboro, you know. And and I you know I have some thoughts on you know, of positive things that can be done now to to get there, um, but I I don't think. Waynesboro is an, is, a, is an option right now that people can have. And, the, I mean, there's no good alternative in town now. Uh, one of your professional colleagues, John Blair, has props for you on LinkedIn. Really fantastic interview. One of the single biggest issues facing Charlottesville and Albemarle is the idea of separating economic and community development in both localities. They should work as one, as Justin is stating in this interview. Thank you. You agree with that? And UVA, yeah. yeah. Don't yeah. you think? All, like all, all, all of, three at all, the table. All, all, yeah, all yeah. of us, and it can't be like we have to come at it together. This from Spencer. Jerry asked Justin uh, his take on what's happening in downtown Charlottesville, and please welcome this guy back to the show. Spencer says. So I've asked, I've put this um, on the show many times. You got downtown Charlottesville that is maybe heading the way of the UVA corner, man. It's a few people that own downtown, just like a few people own UVA. 
Rents every single year, Justin, as you know, you're in this business here, escalating every year downtown. It's gotten to the point where very few businesses are able to thrive downtown. I mean, you got restaurants that are run by successful decades restaurateurs that are not working anymore. The retail outlet is basically saying to me, look, the foot traffic is not there during the week to justify these rents. We need to go somewhere else. So Spencer wants me to ask you, are you worried about downtown and what do we do to bring foot traffic back? Stonefield, Barracks Road, Ivy Road's becoming a shopping destination. Downtown's got more competition than ever, especially with the internet. Yeah, I mean, that is a, that's a tough question. I mean, to answer, um, I, cause you don't want corporate downtown, big box downtown. Pardon? You don't want a big box brand downtown like we're seeing on the corner. Um, you mean because of the rents? Yeah. Um, and I think he has to choose his words carefully here because he's got clients in both locations, I believe. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I think there's multiple things going on here. I, I think one is uh, with the work from home as well. I think there's just like, regardless of like what's happening less down people. there, it's just, it's just straight up less people. I mean, I, I can't tell you, like I've gone to other cities and I've like walked around and I'm like, you know, DC in particular in like 21 and 22. And I'm like, there's boatloads of people. No, I'm no, like, it's I'm empty. Like, you're I'm, saying. Like, I'm like, where is everybody? Okay. You know? Um, so, uh, so I think it's a part of that. Um, I don't have a good answer. I, I wish I did. I'm nervous. Waynesboro does the designated outdoor refreshment area. I'm, I'm all about trying to create experiences for people to come here. We talked about the business in Belmont, Be Just, who's an elevated home goods store in downtown Belmont. They're going to Ivy Road across from Barracks, across from the Borsad to Hunter's Project, which is called Bel Air Place. It actually has a brand. And she straight up said, I'm leaving downtown Belmont because we have no foot traffic Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It can't justify the rents here. My fear is, is this progresses because of a number of things you've highlighted. Less people working in the towers during the week more people buying online during the week, less disposable income, credit card debt in America's at an all-time high. Yeah. I'm worried about the merchants downtown. Me too. Yeah. I'd... Do you think government gets involved here, or does that make you even more nervous? Because in a way, that's happening in Waynesboro with tourism and the Dora. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I... I, I, I hope that Charlottesville realizes the, the precarious position this little eight-block corridor is in right now, folks. Um, Justin Ritter, our guest, more comments coming in for him. Uh, this question from Lauren, how about the exact definition of a flywheel for us that don't know? So, and I, I learned this, um, and it's actually, uh, I got a, like a new logo for my business, and it's, oh. a, it's, it's actually a, like a flywheel or one of the logos and the idea is it's like like a piece of like a like a machine that like turns the thing like turns the crank like you know and the faster it goes the more power it generates okay so it's just like a yeah okay follow-up question um from her she says if charlottesville becomes and this area becomes an epicenter of high-priced homes isn't that sign of a strong economy just playing devil's advocate with you guys great sure. interview but it seems like things have been working pretty well around here Yes. The problem with that is you're going to have one class of people here if it continues. Yeah. 
That's that's what you right. Yeah, I mean, I I I don't want that. Me neither. Right. You know, and I I think that for folks that are in their twenties, as well as people that are of different socioeconomic means, like if we're all here together, like I think that's better than like all, like all really nice homes in one place. Um, Jonathan on Spotify, he says, can he offer insight into his URL for his business and also what type of law does he like to practice the most? Or what aspect of law does he like to practice the most? Uh, so RitterLawPLLC.com, uh, P, uh, P, not T. Uh, I would say favorite practice area. Um, <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. I probably like getting people out of messy situations and figuring it out. And I think that <laughs> hopefully AI bots can't figure that one out for a while. Not <laughs> uh, more stuff coming in for you. Grayson says, this has been a fantastic interview. The guy that you have on your show right now has represented a number of my friends and their businesses. Please tell him to come back to the show and please ask him the advice that he's offering small business owners now as they come to market with their ideas. Good comment right there. Yeah, Are you offering common advice to everybody? Uh, could you rephrase it? The um, he's basically saying is like if a business is coming to market, what kind of advice are you offering that's common, not depending on the sector of the business? Okay. So just like common? No, like counsel that you would say as they try to launch their business. Traditional or startup? Yeah, or either one. E either one. Yeah. I mean, I think for me uh, – you know, my job is to take the rosy colored glasses off and be like, hey, oh, you got this co-founder over, over here? Oh, it's your best friend? That's awesome. I'm dealing with like 10 co-founder breakups right now. <laughs> like, you know, like it happens. You know, people have different things they want to do or people have different levels of commitment or like they have different visions of, of the business. Like there are breakups. So like, yeah, so, so I would just say, you know, like – Marriage going into business with folks is easy, but getting out of a marriage or getting out of business together can be difficult, especially once you've become successful. So that would be the first piece. Second piece would be, uh, you know, try perhaps you know try to de-risk yourself. Probably not so much legal advice, but just in the sense of like if you can take on investment to the extent you're comfortable, whether it's institutional lenders from a traditional business or like from outside investors, it's probably a good thing overall. Uh, depending on the circumstances, you know, I would say if you get a lease. I mean, there, there's just so much. It's very, it's just try to stick your neck out as little as possible, and say as say say and do as little as possible until you're doing the thing, as well. Well said. <laughs> How about two more? Kelsey says, Jerry, great interview with Mr. Ritter. Please ask him what he thinks Charlottesville is missing besides affordable housing. I would say more, more of the Bonimos, more of the Agrospheres. Let's get the Lego manufacturing facility in Charlottesville. I don't know where, but something like that would be great. So you want some more blue-collar jobs? Yeah, and, and what I specifically mean is like not like – I mean like, manufact, like manufacturing jobs, jobs that can lead to um, you know, higher – Vertical Salaries. potential. Yeah, higher yeah. vertical potential. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. I like that. We definitely have a shortage on that. This is a great way to end. Um, and we got to as many of them as possible here. Um, Reagan says, what is the role of the university in this market? We could spend an entire show on that one. I think for a lot of folks, it's the first thing people think about when they think of Charlottesville. So from like a branding perspective, like just... I just I think it's could you rephrase the question because I, I just want to make sure I get it just what's right. the role of the university when it comes to this like ecosystem okay so should we be asking UVA to do even more that's my question or are they doing enough I mean good god they're propping up the entire economy I think when you you think about I would love to see UVA uh, be what Stanford was to the greater San Francisco region to what University of Washington was to the greater Seattle region, which is like incubators of the next talent. I mean, the people that have gone to these schools, I mean, you know, one of the first people out of Stanford was Hewlett and Packard, you know, um, Phil Knight, Shoe Dog, like um, Washington, you know, um, the Microsoft founders. I mean, it's just like, and, and we had, you talked about, what, what was his name yesterday? Is it Alexis? Oh, yeah, from UVA. UVA. Yeah, Reddit. The founder of Reddit. Waffle but, House. But now he's, he's not here, right? No, married to Serena Williams, has kids. So what I want is the next Alexis that comes out of UVA to stay in Charlottesville. There you go. That's what I want. That's what I want. That's beautiful. That's yeah. a perfect way to end. Dude, you crushed yeah. it today. We want the founders and the innovators to stay in Charlottesville, create jobs yeah. that are better, bettering Central Don't Virginia. Don't leave. Don't leave. Yeah, and and it, it's not just like the next big thing, like the the Reddit ten years from now. Yeah, I think it's you know I've I talked to folks that they say, hey, I've got fifty employees. I need to be in a light industrial zone. I know that some folks are adding light industrial here, uh, which is good uh, near the city. But like, I don't have a building for my fifty people, and I want to go to seventy five. Oh, it's super cheap over in Richmond. We're thinking about going, and I'm like, no, stay. <laughs> You know, but like I can't. So, so I would say to UVA, like there will be another Alexis. There's probably one there right now. Yeah. And how can we keep them here? And I think that's a responsibility of CBIC, of which I'm a part of, the SBDC, CIC, like the Ecosystem Venture Central, the the um, the various community uh, entrepreneurial ecosystem support groups led by UVA, because I'm telling you, there's going to be several Reddits coming out of UVA equivalents in, in importance within the next 10 years. Well said, dude. You yeah. killed this. You absolutely killed this. Ashley Reining writes this on one of the 15 Facebook pages. I listened from start to finish. One of the best interviews you've done, Jerry. Like the other viewers and listeners have said, please invite him back. Would you join us another time? Absolutely. I hope I can share more insights. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to gather, and like I, I try, like I don't like I don't think like a lot of these things are like open-ended yeah. uh, conclusions that I'm open to to changing. You know, I, I'm just trying to understand what's happening as much as everybody else. You know, and it, it's tough right now. It's tough to know what's going on. And so I, I think, you know, yesterday your episode about is it sunshine and rainbow here is like, man, I've been thinking about that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, it's because we're in a similar line of work. 
I mean, you're, you're constantly consulting or chatting and communicating with clients across different lines of work, just like yeah. I am. Yeah. And like you're saying, it's the same thing that we're experiencing. Some clients are saying they cannot keep up. Yeah. It's best year ever. Yeah. And other clients are, you know, close to the doors being closed. Yeah. Um, and they're having to navigate that. So we often hear like the $1.2 billion defense sector impact or the impact of the University of Virginia and all these other positive economic data points. Yeah. I just wanted to like shine a spotlight on there that it's not the case for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. It, can I mention sure. one, one last thing? Please. I, I, I may, perhaps we've gone over. I, um, one thing that I'm working on through CBIC right now, and I'm hoping to, to host an event, hoping this year, one of the, the big things like talking about affordable housing that I see that could be good, not just the zoning, yeah. but like the new emerging technologies as well as processes of building homes okay. is, is evolving rapidly right now. There's a company called Alquist 3D that built the first 3D printed home in Chesterfield County, I think in 2022. And they're now doing something called Project Virginia. They're building 200 3D printed homes in Pulaski County, Virginia, as of like right now. Um, and I haven't kept up with what they're doing, but I think they're in active construction right now. There's new materials that are being used, um, some that are more environmentally friendly. But I'm hoping to have an event that really highlights and focuses this because I think, to your point about land values going up, and, and even with the zoning amendment changes that land values will go up again. Yeah. Um, the only way you can really cut against that, in my mind, obviously more supply, but also being able to build it for cheaper. Because if you have owners of homes right now that don't want to sell because they're holding two, two to three percent mortgage interest rates and they're not going to sell, you got to build more houses. And if you got to build more houses to build, to, to have affordable homes be available, they have to be built affordably. And so right now, um, I see the new technologies emerging right now. Black Buffalo is their, their printer, uh, diamond, uh, 3D out of Phoenix, Arizona is using robots to like build these houses. Like that, I think could really help beyond the zoning is the technology and the implementation process itself. So, um, not to go on a tangent there, but good, I, I do think that could help. Justin Ritter, his namesake, Ritter Law, his small business. He's fantastic, guys. If you're looking for a resource legally, Here's your guy. He's on the front line working with small business owners all over Central Virginia. Justin, you will uh, undoubtedly hear back from me with another invitation. This was a joy. Me too. Seriously. Me too. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very yeah. much, Justin Ritter. Judah, yeah. thank you for troubleshooting the early part of the program. You're on point. The I Love Seville Show, wherever you get your podcast, online at iloveseville.com. Thanks today to Castle Hill and their 231 Festival, which is June 10th. June 10th. The 231 Festival at Castle Hill. We will be there with our family, my wife, and our two sons. We're back tomorrow. Thank you kindly for joining us. So long, everybody. Justin, that was awesome. That was great, right? Yeah. Thank you. Easy.